this man named Asa becomes king. Now you've got several different kinds of kings in Israel and Judah at this time. Some of the kings were just horrible from day one. I mean, it was just said in their, in their story that the moment they were born, they were just as wicked as their dad. Right. And then they died that way. Some of them, regardless of their circumstances and upbringing, they were actually pretty awesome kings. And they died in a righteous state. Others either started off wicked and then repented at the end of their life and were pretty awesome. Some started awesome and then at some point stopped repenting and they died evil. So you got this mixture of all kinds of superheroes and villains, so to speak. And recently I've been going through First and Second Chronicles kind of repeatedly and I've really continued to go back to this king Asaph. And this question has boggled my mind. Was King Asa a legend or a letdown? Mm. And so the title of our message this morning is King Asa, the life of a legend or a letdown. And really by the end of this study, I hope that you can make a decision for yourself. Please turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 15. And you may hear all this and go, well, how is this relevant to me? I mean, didn't these guys exist thousands of years ago? Well, that is true. But also, what's true is Romans chapter 15, verse 4, that says, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. And so there is something that we need to learn from these stories, and particularly this morning, I hope we can learn from King Asaph. In 2 Chronicles chapter 15, We'll start our reading here in verse 1. Come on, bro. The Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asah and said to him, Listen to me, Asah, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach, and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought Him, and He was found by them. You know, right here we learn a very simple principle, not just for Asaph, but also for our lives today. When you are with God... God will be with you. Isn't that awesome to think about? When you seek God, you will find Him. But when you forsake God, He will forsake you. And it happens simultaneously. You know, sometimes people wonder, like, at what point am I in? At what point am I out? At what point is the Spirit in me? At what point is the Spirit out of me? The moment you come out of the waters of baptism, the Spirit is is in you. You are with God. God is with you. But the moment you fall away... The Holy Spirit leaves you. When you forsake God, God forsakes you. You know, we read here, and it just becomes very clear that the choice is ours. Let's jump over to verse 7. But as for you, King Asa, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. When Asah heard these words in the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin, 
and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. You know, when you understand the option at hand, if I seek out, I'll find him. I'll be rewarded. It puts you to work. Come on, bro. And King Esau enters into this covenant, so to speak, with God, and he goes, okay, well, that gives me courage, and now it's time <laughs> to get to work. And what does he do? He removes the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin, from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He's literally sending out leaders to every single house of every single person, and they're removing all of the idols from their homes. The things that are in their house that are keeping them from getting close to God. We all have little idols in our lives, yeah. things that challenge us to get close to God. And he makes sure to go in and get every single idol out of the land. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. yeah. Come on. Now what's his heart? He's courageous. He's excited to do so. Let's continue reading in verse 9. Then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon, who had settled among them. For large numbers had come over to him from Israel when they saw the Lord was with them. And so what's going on here? Their enemy, Israel, people are noticing that God is with Judah because of their repentance. And they're literally leaving Israel, walking down, traveling into Judah to establish themselves as citizens of Judah. All right? Verse 10. They assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of Asa's reign. At that time, they sacrificed the Lord 700 head of cattle, 7,000 sheep, and goats from the plunder that they had brought back. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their hearts and soul. All those who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were to be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. They took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation with shouting and trumpets and horns. All Judah rejoiced at the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. So you got Judah. You got all these Israelites that have traveled down to now be part of Judah. They've all gotten rid of all their idols. So Asa brings them all together. He goes, all right, God. Today is a new day. I don't know what sins you had in your past. I don't know what idols were pulled out of your bedroom. But from here on out, we're all going to repent. Come on. We're all going to change. And we're going to enter into a covenant to seek God with all of our hearts and with all of our souls. Sounds good? Yeah. And of course, everyone's fired up. Yeah. And in verse 12, we see there's a covenant. Verse 13, we see there's a consequence. Verse 14, we see there's a conviction. And verse 15, we see there is a compensation. There's a covenant that everyone would seek God with all their heart and with all their soul. Does that fire you guys up? Yeah. But if you didn't, there was a consequence. There was a consequence. If you are not willing to seek God with all your heart, with all your soul, no problem. You will be killed. Hmm. Verse 14, there's a conviction. So then everyone learns and goes, okay, so it's either seek God with all my heart and soul or die. All right, let's seek God. It's going to be fun. And so everyone.
everyone's rejoicing. How do you know it was all their heart and all their soul? The Bible says right here that there was loud acclamation, that they were playing their trumpets and their horns. This was an incredible celebration for everyone to worship God together. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine if we held our church to this same standard? Right. Come on. Sister, do you have a quiet time this morning? Mm. My brother, what was the last time you really connected to God? Bro, are you singing with all your heart? No? I have an offender! I have an offender! Let's take him outside! I repent! I repent! Amen, just check <laughs> I mean, this, this wasn't just like a suggestion to Israel. This wasn't a suggestion, a suggestion to all God's people. This is a restoration of the standard. Yeah. That everyone was going to be fully committed to God. Yeah. And if you don't, no problem. This just isn't for you. Yeah. Come on, Joel. And then lastly, the encouragement comes. All Judah is rejoicing. We see there is a compensation. That God is out to give his people Rest. Don't you look forward to the day of rest? I look forward to the day of rest. Amen. The Bible refers to the day of rest as when, when you die. Yeah. And you just get to wait for Jesus to come back. There is a compensation for seeking God with all your heart. And with all your soul. I hope that this morning we can learn from King Asa. You know, I'm not going to look particularly at all the people. Because we just need to look at the leader. Because we can determine where the people are at by where the leader is at. Right. And the leader can't call the people to do something that he himself is not doing. Right. So let's zoom in this morning on King Asa. Amen? Amen. Point number one, commitment to the covenant. Commitment to the covenant. You know, we're going to start reading here in, in verse 16 in just a second. But I've got to convince you that this is worthwhile. You know, for me, I've, I've done a lot of Bible studies. I had a Bible study earlier this week uh, with, a, with a gentleman at University of Washington. And um, I was trying to remember, like, is there any way I can calculate how many Bible studies I've done on the topic of seeking God? And I couldn't really remember, so I just said probably a couple thousand. Later on, I started thinking, well, I wonder how many, if that's just seeking God Bible studies... I wonder just how many Bible studies in general I've led. I don't know, maybe like 5,000 or 6,000, something like that. I'm just, I'm, I'm honestly just guessing here. I mean, when you're in the campus ministry, as I was for six years, you're doing Seeking God Bible studies every day, if not multiple times a day, yeah. for all six years. And so it, it adds up very fast. And then I started thinking, well, how many just Bible studies have I been in? Just everyone's Bible studies. And it's literally countless. I don't think there's any way of determining how many Bible studies I've ever been in. Um, it's just impossible. And I'm sure many of you can say the same exact thing. There's just so many. And I'll tell you, I've never been paid for a Bible study. Like, like every once in a while, I'll study the Bible with somebody, and you know, they might buy me like a soda or a sandwich or something like that. But, but I've never like actually had someone like handed me a dime for, for a Bible study. And you know, this past week it was really interesting. On Tuesday, um, I had a Word of God Bible study. And I, I led the Word of God Bible study, and we prayed it out. It was awesome. And afterwards, the person comes to me, and they say, you know, God really put something on my heart. And I go, what, what is that? And they go, and they, they take out a check, and they, they slip it into my pocket. I'm like, what, what is this? 
you really don't need to pay me. Like, I've, I've done these for years. I've never been paid. It's really no big deal. And I proceeded to give him the check back. And he goes, no, no, no. You don't even know how much is on it. I'm like, right. Even if it's a dollar, I'm not interested. Like, I, don't, I really don't want any money for a Bible study. And they're like, that's a thousand dollars. God really put on my heart to give you a thousand dollars. You know, there is a compensation for your hard work, and it comes from God. Come on, it's not expected, it's not anticipated. You don't ask for it, but God will reward you for your hard work, as He does everyone else. You know, it's really amazing. Right here in 2 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 16. It's a fresh start for all of God's people. And it says here in verse 16. King Asa also deposed his grandmother. Macaw from her position as queen mother. Now it's kind of a weird word, deposed. But it literally means to remove from their position forcefully. Alright? Because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Asa cut it down, broke it up, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although he did not remove the high places from Israel, Asa's part was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of God the silver and the gold, the articles that he and his father had dedicated. There was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Wow. I mean, this guy was bold. He deposed Grandma. <laughs> what? Like, grandma's in sin. And he doesn't just, like, pull her off to the side and have a friendly conversation. Right. Grandma, what you're doing is not good. We're going to destroy this little thing that you made here. But you need to never do that again, grandma. Like, there was none of that. It was he goes in, he grabs her and says, you are no longer queen mother. And he pulls her out, replaces her. He deposed Grandma. You know, when you enter into this covenant to seek out with all your heart, there is absolutely no room for sentimentality. Right. You don't even want to be sentimental. Because you know that sentimentality doesn't help anybody. Yeah. I mean, Grandma here was not helping anybody by making some repulsive image for some fake God. And so what does he do? He gets hard blind about his convictions and he deposes Grandma. You know, when you're fully committed you start to expect everyone else to be fully committed. Yeah, come on. Right. Because you see the pain, and you see the, the, the challenge of being fully committed yourself. And when you see other people not being fully committed, you start to, to question them. Because they seemingly are getting away with, with, with sin and not being committed, and yet they're receiving the same amount of reward. So you feel this courage and this desire to call other people to also be fully yep. committed yeah. as well. You know, even though he did not remove the high places of Israel, the Bible says that Asa's part was still fully committed. No one's perfect. We're not talking about being totally perfect here. We're talking about the heart. We're talking about yeah. being fully committed to God. Yeah. You know, Asa here, like anyone, could have become overly confident. In fact, right here it says in verse 19 that there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Now that's kind of interesting. 35 years of kingship, actually doing an incredible job, but then something happens in the 35th year where the rest stopped. Mm. No more chilling, no more breaks, 
something happens in the 35th year. Aren't you curious about what happened in the 35th year? Let's continue reading here. In chapter 16, verse 1. Come on, man. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Bashah, king of Israel, went up against Judah and fortified Ramah to prevent anyone from leaving or entering the territory of Asa, king of Judah. Now, you've got to understand, so Israel and Judah are, are connected, okay? And right in the middle is Benjamin, and one of the key cities in Benjamin is Ramah. So, Bashah sends people down from Israel to Ramah, that, that central ground, and he starts to build up a military so that no one in Judah can leave and that no one else, one of those people earlier, no one else from Israel would, would leave Israel and go down into Judah. So he's, he's trying to build a wall to keep people out and to keep people in Judah. Verse 2. Asa then took the silver and the gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple and out of his own palace and sent it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who was ruling in Damascus. Let there be a treaty between me and you, he said, as there, was as there was between my father and your father. See, I am sending you silver and gold. Now break your treaty with Bashar, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. Ben-Hadad agreed with King Asa, and sent the commanders of the forces in the towns of Israel. They conquered Ijon, Dan, Abel, Maid, and all the store cities of Naphtali. When Bashar heard this, he stopped building Ramah and abandoned his work. Then King Asa brought all the men of Judah, and they carried away from Ramah the stones and timber Bashar had been using, and they built up Geba and Mizpah. So literally what's happening here is in Judah, Asa is seeing Ramah get built up, and he's seeing that no more Israelites are going to join him, and that none of his people in Judah are going to be able to leave, and he wants to take out Israel for good. And instead of relying on God, as he had for 35 years, 35 years of faithfulness to that covenant with God, he had been doing an incredible job. But now he's going to switch up his tactics and try something else. He goes... Well, Israel is teamed up with Aram, an enemy. And the king of Ben-Hadad is a greedy king. So if I give him enough money, maybe he will withdraw his union with Israel, and then therefore we can attack Israel and have a great victory. So what he does is he takes all the treasures of his own in his palace, all the treasures of the temple, they pile it up and they ship it out to Ben-Hadad and Aram. And they say, they basically bribe him. And they say, here's all of our money. Stop being unified with Israel so we can attack these guys. So he withdraws his union of Israel. And then all of Judah now has the ability to go in and take over Ramah. Once you get Ramah, you'll have the entrance to the rest of Israel. You guys follow me here? Yep. I know it's a lot. You follow me? Oh, yeah. All right. So, point number two, negotiations with the world. Mm. You know, Asa was starting to warm up to the idea of worldliness. And he wants to take over this northern kingdom. But instead of going to God, he uses logic. He uses his own innovation, his own ideas. And he kind of skips over the word of God. You ever been there in your life? 
you're like, I know the Word of God works. I've been using it for a long time. I know if I continue to use it, it'll continue to work. But it's just so hard. It's just not easy. And, and it always takes faith. It's, it's never, like, guaranteed. Although it is guaranteed, you can't really see the victory until you're there. So let me try something else. Let me come up with an idea. Let me just think through this logically. And you engage a spiritual situation with a worldliness. And it may give you a victory. It may. I mean, this absolutely gave Asa a victory in Ram. Without a doubt. He had a great victory this day. But the big picture was the bigger deal. That he had broken his covenant with God. Yeah, come on. He made a negotiation with the world. You know, it's awesome to have my parents here in town. Yeah. Um, growing up, we had one rule in the house. And that was to obey. Oh, nice. And we had a standard for obedience in our house. And you do what you're told, when you're told, how you're told, and with a great attitude. And none of those are negotiable. If you don't do what you're told, when you're told, how you're told, or with a great attitude, you're in trouble. Period. Every single time. No doubt about it. That was the covenant that we had in our house. But I, I never broke the covenant. And you know, I think to a degree it's the same with God. I think it's the same with God. Do what you're told, when you're told, how you're told, a really great attitude. And when we break that covenant, we may have a temporary fix. We may we may get into some pleasurable sin. It may actually be entertaining for a short period of time. But you've got to think through the big picture. Is this what I want in my relationship with God? Right. I'm sure Assad didn't think this through. I'm sure he didn't. 35 years of victory and now he's going to abandon his faithfulness to God? You know, it's really amazing just how powerful the Bible is and how powerful it can work in somebody's life. Yeah. And when we decide to have a conviction not to negotiate with the world how much blessing... God can pour into our life. And I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel here. I even mean spiritual blessings. You know, one of the most incredible spiritual blessings that we've had here in the church recently is Tyler here. Hey! You know, those of you who don't know, Tyler was actually Jesse's childhood friend. And they kind of grew up together in Kansas, the middle of nowhere. And uh, they got into some trouble together. Uh, They weren't the best kids growing up. And Jesse ended up leaving Kansas to go up to Portland to try to turn his life around and did just that. He got involved in the church, studied the Bible, became a Christian, got baptized, and then recently moved up here to Seattle. We're just so grateful to have him. And then he got a phone call recently from his childhood friend, Tyler. And Tyler called him up and he said, you know, I've, I've... been in and out of some trouble in my life, and I'm just ready to turn my life around. Okay, come on. And Jesse's like, well, what do you want to do? And he's like, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. What do you think I should do? He's like, well, why don't you move to Seattle? <laughs> and so he was set to move to Seattle, then some other things came up. He was about to go to like Idaho or something. And Jesse's like, no, dude, you've got to come to Seattle. I'm going to help you spiritually. So about a month ago, Tyler moves here to Seattle. 
And he moves in with the brothers, and none of the brothers know him except for Jesse, and so they're all just trusting Jesse's instincts here to go with the flow. And Tyler joins the brothers, and I mean, right off the bat, he's getting along with them, they're wrestling. I mean, it's like a, it's like a brother's household. And just recently, Tyler started studying the Bible, and he decided... I'm going to cut off all negotiations with the world. Yeah. They studied the Bible last night till 2.30 in the morning, oh, and he's come here today to get baptized in the yeah. And now God is going to pour out tremendous blessing into Tyler's life, without a doubt. Without a doubt. He always does. It might not be a material blessing, it might be a spiritual blessing, but it'll be a tremendous amount of happiness. You guys with me here? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's very easy to sort of fall back into our old ways, our, our worldliness, so to speak, and toe the line with sin. You ever hear that phrase? You toe the line with sin. And in other words, it's like there's righteousness over here, covenant with God over here, and then there's the world over here, and there's kind of a line in between. I don't think that's totally accurate. I don't think anyone toes a line with sin. I think what you're actually doing, we know from the passages that death is on the other side. That's not towing a line, that's towing a cliff. I mean, literally, it's a drop-off, and sometimes we get the courage from the world to actually tow that line and wonder, how close to the edge can I get without falling off? And it's risky. And it's risky. I mean, I don't have a lot of fears in this world, but one of my fears is being near edges. Without railings, just being near an edge. Have you ever been to one of those before? Like really high up. I'm not talking about like two, three stories. I'm talking about like 150, 200, 300 feet. Like go over to Deception Pass and stand on that bridge and look down. You'll know what I'm talking about. That freaks me out. So for me, from that perspective, I know not to toe that line. I'm more like stay over here. <laughs> Why told the line? Why told the edge? Right. Is it adventurous? Is it fun for you? That worldliness can just creep in yeah. as it did with Asaph. Yeah. You know, in James chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Yeah. You know, disciples of Jesus do not make deals with the world, we do not negotiate with the world. Any person in the Bible who would wheel and deal with the world would either end up flat on their face or dead. And I don't know about you, but that's not the fork in the road I want to be standing at. I would much rather stay in my little corner cautiously and be a good Christian. You know what I'm talking about? You know, Aram was not God's people, and yet Asa was willing to make a deal with them. Have you willingly or maybe even subliminally made some deals with the world recently? You may have a few victories in short, but in the grand scheme of things, you are sacrificing your covenant with God. You guys with me here? You know, I think it's very important that we get a conviction from the truth. And that's point number three. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 7, it says, At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asah, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram, and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hands. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? 
Yet when you relied on the Lord, He delivered them into your hands. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. Amen. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on, you will be at war. Asa was angry with the seer because of this. He was so enraged that he put him in prison. At the same time, Asa brutally oppressed some of the people. You know, this prophet comes to King Asa and he tells him the truth. Yeah. He tells him the truth. He doesn't venture from the truth. He just says, listen, back in the day, you feared God and you worshiped God. And God fought for you. And you defeated these giant armies. So why in the world would you think to go to the king of Aram? Why would, why would you go to this, this guy, Ben-Hadad, when you've got the king to fight for you? From now on, the rest stops. And you will be at war. 35 years of faithfulness comes to an end. Why? Because Asa did not love the truth. Now we know that God is gracious and merciful. I mean, he never destroyed the high places. There was a chance for him to repent here and for God to, in a righteous way, overlook his sin and forgive his mistake. But what was the problem? He got prideful. He got blinded by the truth. And instead of resisting his sin... He resisted the discipling that he got, the word of God from the prophet, and it led him down a path of evil. He becomes oppressive. Now, after King Solomon, oppression was the thing that split the northern and southern kingdom. The styles and leadership were various for all the kings all the time, and at that particular time, the northern kingdom wanted to oppress the people, and their southern kingdom did not. And so the very thing that King Asa was opposing, he became. Wow. When you let a little yeah. worldliness into your life, into your heart, it's only a matter of time before it takes you over. Yeah. And you become the very person you always yeah. destined yourself not to be. You become the angry, the impure, the immoral, the unrighteous person that you never thought you would be. Yeah. Because you just let a little worldliness creep into your heart. Yeah. You know, I have so much love to study the Bible with Russell a couple weeks ago. On Monday, Russell had only been through a couple studies, and, and yet we faithfully predicted that he was going to have a radical turn of events and his heart was going to super soften, and he was going to become a disciple that week. And so we got together with him on Monday, and on Tuesday, and on Wednesday. And on Wednesday, we taught him a little bit about what it's going to take for him to come into the light and be baptized and everything. And I go, so Russell, on, a, on your timeline here, in your foreseeable future, when do you want to get baptized? And he goes, well, how many Bible studies are left? I go, well, there's a few more things we'd like to teach you before you're really ready. Um, so probably like two or three. He goes, well, how about this? How about we do a Bible study on Thursday, and then another one Friday, and then I can get baptized on Saturday? How does that sound? Dang. I go, that's radical, bro. Yeah, let's, let's do it. He goes, actually, no. What if I get hit by a bus and die? Uh, what, 
maybe I should do a study on Thursday, a study on Friday, and then I get baptized Friday night. What do you think about that? I go, even better. <laughs> and so after a long day, after a long night of tagging, Russell was baptized around 10 p.m. Yeah. last Friday. And this guy just loves the truth. I mean, the Bible studies were not smooth sailing. We, we had some bumps with false doctrine. We had some bumps with, with false ideas of discipleship. And yet he continued to put his sentimentality off to the side and be hard and love the truth and now he's an incredible disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, we got to learn a few things from this. Number one, the truth is hard to hear. Yeah. If it's hard to hear, it's probably the truth. And secondly, your pride will keep your heart hard. King Asah had a hard heart. After 35 years of what we would call discipleship, being a Christian, he allowed his heart to get hard. I mean, you would think after 35 years of faithfulness, you're not going anywhere in your relationship with God. But he had allowed his pride and arrogance to get in the way. And thirdly, our lack of repentance puts us at war with God. Wow. King Asah got prideful, stopped repenting, and he was at war with God. You know, when something is brought to your attention, are you more focused on the message or the messenger? We need to learn to love the truth. Yep. Pride can be subtle. And you may not even see it until you get prideful. It may be deeply embedded in your heart. But how you react to situations and how you react to correction is a sign of how humble you really are. Yeah. Right. When we are corrected with the truth and we are humble, then there is true repentance. And as we learned earlier, there is a compensation that goes along with it, that God yeah. will bless you in a great way. Yeah. So I've got to ask you this morning, do you have any secret sin that you need to talk about before the day is over? Mm-hmm. You know, I'll never forget, back in 2010, I was an intern in the church in Chicago, and... I was walking home one day from school, and it was just a rough day, just a hard day. And I was kind of seen as one of the more humble guys in the ministry. And I got a phone call from our evangelist, and he was just correcting me on a few things. And instead of being humble and going, you're totally right, which he was, instead of being humble and going, I need to repent, which I did, I got prideful, and my wall shot up, and I got defensive. I even raised my voice at my evangelist. I was mad. I was angry. And I was brutally honest, but my heart was continuing to get exposed. A few seconds later, he paused and he said, Joel, where are you? I said, I'm, I'm almost home. He said, I'll be there in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Kind of hung up the phone at that point and finished the last couple minutes of my walk just a little bit in shock. What did I just do? <laughs> I can't believe I let my heart get so hard. And then my attitude changed, and I, and I started getting more prideful. And I started thinking of my defenses. How am I going to respond to him when he corrects me on these things? I know he's going to bring them up, but I don't feel like I'm in the wrong. So I, I've got I've to defend myself. And it's very humbling. He comes over, greets me with a warm hug, lots of love. And that immediately started softening my heart. I said... Brother, would you like to maybe go talk in my room? Because we're at the apartment. And he goes, no, let's just talk right here in the living room. 
I said, but, but all the guys are in the living room. He said, that's okay. So <laughs> <laughs> you sure you don't want to go in the room or out to coffee? He said, no, nope, we're just going to talk right in the living room. So literally the room was set up where you got a TV on one side and you got a table right in the middle and a couch on the other side. And so we literally sat at the table in the middle of the room. And all the brothers are looking at me like, what's about to go down? What's the and I'm just sitting there, feeling a little embarrassed. And I'll tell you, it was one of the most humbling moments of my life. I've had some humbling moments, but to be just that exposed, for your sin to just come into the light all at once, was incredibly humbling. I'll tell you, it was the last time I ever yelled at my evangelist. <laughs> and I learned my lesson. And it was incredible. It was loving. By the end of it, all the brothers were praying for me. Wow. It was incredible. And I really think that there's something to say about a true humility yep. to disciple. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the people in the church I really need to lift up, a couple years ago, after the church was planted, about six months went by, and one of the disciples was giving us a very challenging time. And by us, I mean Courtney and I. And this, this person just... They, they weren't unified, number one. They weren't loyal. And they were talking bad about different people in the church to other friends outside of the church. Mm. And then the word was getting back, hey, so-and-so's talking about you guys. And it hurt my feelings. And it hurt Courtney's feelings. And many of the disciples in the church were hurt by this. So Courtney and I had tried to have a few talks with this person, and nothing was really changing. So we invite them over to our house. We sit them down on the couch. And we just go, listen, um, you know, you have a few options here. Either you can just totally repent, give your heart, or maybe it's time we, we send you back to San Francisco. I mean, if that's where all your friends are at, if, the, if those are the church leaders you want to be under, then maybe you should just go back. And listen, I'll even pers I'll buy your I'll buy your ticket back. We'll, we'll personally send you back. I just I want you to do all right spiritually. And there were tears, and it was like, no, 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 I am sold out. I I am committed. I do love you. I, but your actions don't show that. Yeah. You're yelling at your roommates. You're not cleaning up after yourself. You're not sharing your faith. You're not having quiet times. You can say you're committed all you want, but your actions say different. Right. And all I really care about, I don't really care if you're in Seattle or not. I just want to see you in heaven someday. Yeah. Right. And she goes, okay. And it was a magical moment. I mean, <laughs> literally, she just snapped out of it. It was amazing. The repentance. I learned at that point, repentance is a decision. Yeah. She just snapped out of it. And got super loyal and, and super sold out. God's used her in a great way. She's been fruitful many times over. Courtney Smith is amazing. God really does want your dreams to come true. And yeah. one of the dreams that Courtney has always had is to get trained up in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Los Angeles is kind of the center of all of our churches. That's where many of the leadership is and a, a lot of young people that are raising up to go into the full-time ministry are there. And so she's always had this dream since being baptized to be in Los Angeles. And so it was very exciting. Recently we got a phone call just asking, hey listen, we're sending out all these people onto the mission field this year. Can Seattle send one person down to Los Angeles? just to help us out. And I go, you know what? We got this one amazing sister 
I couldn't say this two years ago. I would have been calling them to go, would you please take this? And listen, we got this one amazing sister. She dreams of training in Los Angeles. She, she wants to be with her, reunited with her mother in the faith, Sheila Turner. How about we send Courtney Smith down to Metro Heights? And very excitedly, in just three weeks' time, Courtney Smith is going to be moving down to Los Angeles as one of the leaders in ICCM and at the University of Southern California to be leading underneath Sheila Turner, her mother in the faith. Isn't that incredible? Pride doesn't just stop the moment. Pride stops you from entering into your destiny. And King Asah had the same choice that Cordy Smith had on my couch. Repent or not. And you know what? Honestly, I look back at King Asah's life and I go, what if he repented when, King, when, when the prophet Hananiah had discipled him? What if he got humble and just accepted the correction from the truth and turned his life around? How much more could God have used him? Yeah, come on. Let's close out in 2 Chronicles 16. Come on. Verse 11. Come on, bro. The events of Asa's reign, from beginning to end, are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was inflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Wow. Then, in the 41st year of his reign, Asa died and rested with his ancestors. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut up for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier, covered with spices and various splendid perfumes, and they made a huge fire in his honor. You know, King Asa never fully repented. In the 36th year, he breaks the covenant with God. In the 39th year, he gets a severe illness and a sickness and a disease in his foot. And even in the most severe trial of his life, he still did not turn to God in great position. And he trusted in worldliness. And two years later, he died. You know, you need to decide, was he a legend? Or was he a letdown? I mean, after all, he deposed grandma. He removed all the idols from the land. He won victory after victory for 35 years. Judah had rest. But in his few remaining years, he broke his covenant with God. He stopped relying on God. He fell away from God. And he died. Now I do love what it says here at the very end though. They made a huge fire in his honor. I love how in the kingdom of God no matter how bad it gets, we never forget the good. We never forget the repentance, the blessing, the miracles. I know Courtney's not dying, but even though she's going down to Los Angeles, she will never be forgotten as a hero in the yeah. Yeah. We never forget the miracles. We have three challenges this morning. Come on, Joel. And because seeking God is a process, this challenge goes for everyone. We need to be fully committed to the covenant of seeking God with all of our heart and with all of our soul. Yes. Secondly, we do not negotiate with the world right. on spiritual matters. 
And thirdly, we need to decide to be humble to discipling yes. and humble to correction. You know, it's really up to you. We can either live the life of a legend or we can live the life of a letdown. It really does come back to your heart and your commitment to seek God with all your heart and with all your soul. Amen. Amen. Amen.